So we're going to leave. You threw me off, guys. No. We're going to leave the Gospel of John today and turn uh, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Uh, this will be maybe a meditation on the text here. We'll see. Maybe not a, a full-blown sermon. Um, we're having the Lord's Supper this afternoon as well. Um, but we live in a world that's kind of, kind of messed up, is it not? <laughs> uh, Pastor Bob shared a great message last week, a message of hope with all of the stuff that's gone on in 2020. Uh, but we know that our problems did not begin whenever it might have been late November when this COVID thing started, right? As interesting as 2020 has been, our problems, our brokenness began in a garden, right? Long ago, whenever that was, our first parents were there with the Lord, perfect communion that they had with God, and Adam sinned, and we, in some mysterious way, sinned in Adam. Adam was our covenant head or federal head representing all of humanity, so that when he sinned, we all sinned in Adam and incurred his guilt. And you might say, well, that's not that's not right, or how could that be? Uh, but Jesus died on our behalf, right? And because of his death and righteous life, we receive his benefits. And so it is with Adam. Jesus is our covenant head now. Adam is a covenant head of all people that are apart from Christ with the same demands that Adam had, perfect obedience, right? None of us measure up to that. So all sin, and because Adam sinned, we also sin in him. But we see in that garden that man was exiled from the presence of God. We have there basically the first excommunication. Man is cut off from God. There is a flaming sword that is placed over the entrance of the garden. A curse fell upon all of creation. And really, it seems that from that point, it's kind of gone from bad to worse. There's been ups and downs. Um, but there was a promise, you remember, in that garden. There was a promise in Genesis 3.15 that one day a seed of the woman was going to come to crush the head of that serpent that had entered into the garden. But as you read the scripture, you see, we don't, you only have to get to Genesis 6 to see that God is already orchestrating a worldwide flood to judge the entire world other than basically one family. Sadly, that did not fix everything. We see in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, man in his, in his arrogance, really nothing has changed. Build a tower to, to get to God. You know, we, we can do it on our own. We'll just build a tower tall enough and we can have access to God on our own. And we've seen all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the narratives, that God is working in, a, in, in magnificent ways. Right? We see in the Exodus, he parts the Red Sea. He brings all of these plagues upon um, Egypt, who was a greatest superpower in that day. We see him bring his people into the land. We see him raising up judges, raising up kings, sending prophets, destroying armies. But things always seem to falter. It always seems to get messed up, right? Because we are a broken people. And, and throughout history, God's people are wondering, when is this promise going to be fulfilled that was given all the way back in the garden. When is this seed of the woman going to come to do away with the works of this serpent? We come then to a text that continues on 
in this promise, that God is telling His people that He has not forgotten the promise that was given all the way back in that garden, however many thousands of years it was before this story. So this text that we're going to read takes place in about 700 B.C., to speak just kind of generally, give or take 20 to 40 years. So it's a few thousand years at least from the garden, if you take a young earth approach, that God gave that promise. But we, see, we will see today that God does not forget His Word and His promise. So let's read uh, from the book of Isaiah. I'm just going to read the first couple verses out of chapter 9. It says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Why don't we go uh, before the Lord in prayer? Oh, Father. Hmm. Just come to you now uh, in need, in need of your spirit, in need of your strength, uh, in need of you to speak a word to your people. So we pray that you would do just that. Pray that you would be lifted up, that we would decrease as you increase. Pray that your spirit might have your way in our hearts, in our minds, that you might work in this place. Keep me from any folly, I pray. Pray that you might grant strength even now, that you would give help. Lord, lead us, please, we pray in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the prophet here gives this oracle, this prophecy, to people that are really in some difficult times. The kings that are ruling Israel and Judah at this time are disobedient kings that are no longer following the living God. They're worshiping idols, lifting up uh, high places to Baal and other pagan gods, and leading the people astray in their worship. As you read the Old Testament, you see whichever way the king goes, the people tend to follow. So when the king is a righteous king that worships the Lord, the people follow in that vein. But when the king is an immoral king who is idolatrous, the people continue in that fashion. Uh, you can look up the page just there in Isaiah chapter 8, and we see mention of inquiring of mediums and necromancers. It says, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should not they inquire of the should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? So we see that there's occult practices that are taking place. We also see that paganism abounds and the immorality that always follows. Paganism. Israel has been, uh, during these years, beat up by her enemies. And there has been prophecies just previously that even more judgment is coming, even more uh, difficulty is, is facing God's people. There does not seem to be much reason for hope for Israel at this time. The glory days really seem to be in the past. That as they look in the future, there's not much positive that they can see. And in many ways, their 
situation is not all that different than ours. Certainly the circumstances are different. Some of the details are different. But we live in a day where wicked rulers rule the land. Where the leaders that are over us, by and large, do not worship the true God. They do not follow in His ways. His word is not the law of the land. His measure of morality is not the morality that is um, of this land. Today, paganism is not the main religion of the day. It's secularism. It's the the all-out rejection of God. Self has become supreme. I am the ultimate authority, whatever morality is. I, I, I I can define that myself. There's no need for God by many in our day. 2021 prospects are, are interesting. As we have a new, probably, who knows, president coming in, and much of his policies are things that the Bible says will send a person to hell or the things that he is, is about. Immorality in our day is rampant. In the book of Isaiah, and in, in that day, child sacrificed was practiced. It was not uncommon for a person to bring their child to a pagan god and to sacrifice them um, to appease that, that false god. And in our day, child sacrifice is rampant. Uh, not in that fashion, but you can go to the local Planned Parenthood and sacrifice a child on the altar of convenience. It's no big deal. It happens every day. And you may be like the Israelites looking into 2020, or 2021, I should say, without a whole lot of hope. You know, asking the question, is anything going to be any different than it was these last 12 months? Is there anything positive that is coming our way? Well, I think the prophet gives this exhortation to the people to remind them that they will not be swallowed up by their afflictions. That yes, there is troubles, yes, there is difficulties, but there is most certainly hope. And we see that here in verse 2, a glimmer of hope that is beginning to be revealed. Look with me in the text. It says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. It's an interesting prophecy here because the prophet speaks of things that will happen in the future, but he speaks of them in a past tense as if they've already happened. But we see here a glimmer of hope that is beginning to peek in. Light is going to be shown on a people that are in darkness, a place of darkness. And as we read throughout the Scriptures, we often see light, this this idea of light in relation to God. Of course, it was there in Genesis chapter 1 that God said, let there be light. By His very word, He spoke, and the light cut through the darkness He creates light with his speech. The Apostle John picks up this motif or this theme of light in relation to Jesus. And we read in John chapter 1, the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That when Jesus came, he came bringing light into a dark world. We see in John 3 and verse 19, it says there that this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. When the light comes into the dark, it exposes, it reveals, it shows the things that are there. And John says that many did not love this light when it came because it exposed their deeds. 
that their deeds were evil. And of course, John chapter 8, one of Jesus' famous I am statements where he stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus gives light to a dark world. He gives light to a people desperately in need of it. And then we read in the book of Revelation, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no sun, S-U-N. There will be no need for a sun because God will be in the midst of his people and he will be the light. God's glory will radiate in such a way that there will be no need of a sun because God will be the light that is there. So we see this glimmer of, of hope as a ray of light that is going to come into this people that are walking in darkness. They dwell amongst darkness. And he begins to expound the, the results. What's going to happen when this light comes? Let me read to you there in verse 3. He says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they, when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The prophet begins to speak of what will happen when this light is shown upon a dark world. And we see a few things here. Firstly, we see that it's going to be a time of joy. It's going to be a time of of joy. It says there in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, that the people of God, when this light is shown, will expand. There will be a great expansion of God's people. And their joy will be increased. And he gives two examples. He gives one, firstly, of a reaping of a harvest. And I know some of you here like to grow gardens in your yard and put in the effort and the time to eventually reap the benefits of that garden. And we could imagine for a people that are an agricultural people, that if that's your only livelihood, that there's much work that is put into preparing the ground and sowing the seeds and watering the crops and keeping away the pests and the weeds and all of that until that one day finally comes of harvest where you get to reap the rewards. There's an abundance of food to eat. There's an abundance of resources as you can trade and sell and he also says it is like when they divide up the spoil it's a picture there of the of victors in battle as they've conquered their enemies and they get to reap the the spoil of the of their war and split up the benefits there he also says that this light that is coming is a time of peace it's going to be a time of peace and he refers back to the battle of midian you remember that battle is from the book of Judges when God's people were oppressed by the Midianites and God raises up Gideon and Gideon fights off this great army with 300 men and it's a time of peace for God's people. And so it is that when this light comes, when this promise is fulfilled, that it will be a time of peace for the people of God. But we may ask the question as the Hearers of this prophecy may ask the question, how is all this going to come to pass? Peace sounds good. Joy sounds good. Rejoicing sounds good. But how are all of these things going to come to pass? 
And you may be asking the same question as you look into the future, look into 2020, 2021. Um, how are my fortunes going to change? How is tomorrow going to be really any different than yesterday? Well, we see here the beginning, the revealing of this Genesis 3.15 seed of hope. That God has not forgotten His people. God has not forgotten His promise. As we read in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. That God's answer, God's God's method that He's going to accomplish all of this is through a child. It's through the giving of of a son. And is it not just the nature of the kingdom of God that He always does things in an upside down or maybe backwards sort of way, unlike we might think? We might think that God's going to send a mighty warrior to vanquish His enemies, to conquer and rule. But His promise here is a promise of a child. The child is going to bring peace. The child is going to bring all of this rejoicing. The child is the light that is going to be shown into this dark world. And God loves to do the unexpected. He loves to do things in a way where He gets all the glory. We just talked about Gideon. And God in that story continues to shrink the army until there's only 300 men. So that there could be no doubt that it was all God's strength and His power that defeated the Midianites. We think of a man like Moses. Right? Moses was, was slow to speak. He was frightened to even go before the people. And God uses this man who had no confidence in himself to lead some two million people out of Egypt, out uh, into the Exodus. And here we see that God is going to send a child, that a baby eventually is going to be born, that he is going to be the hope that everyone desperately needs. We read about this son that's going to be given in verse 6. It says, The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Interesting four phrases that we read here about Christ, the giving of this son. It's eight words in the Hebrew, but it seems to be four couplets, four pairings that kind of give us a a sneak peek at the incarnation. Each of these phrases kind of mingles the humanity and the divinity of Christ, that this son that would come would clothe himself with the very human nature that desperately needed to be saved. We see here, firstly, that he is a wonderful counselor. In the book Wonderful, there is, is the same word that's used in the book of Exodus to speak of signs and wonders, miraculous things that God did through His prophet. So this son that is to be born will be able to do the mighty works of God. He will be able to perform signs and wonders, but he will also be a counselor. And that refers to one that gives wise advice, that always speaks the truth. Secondly, we read that this child that is to be given, will be named Mighty God. The word mighty there is used often for soldiers, for mighty warriors, valiant men that conquer their enemies, but it is used for humans. It's not a a very divine uh, phrase there, mighty, but there is no denying this word God. It is the word El in the Hebrew. 
So this son that is to be given even now, 700 years before his birth, we read that he is a the mighty God. He will also be, it says, named Eternal Father or Everlasting Father. Very uncommon to refer to Christ as a father, to refer to Jesus as a father. We would potentially say that he was a somewhat of a father figure to his disciples, to those that sat under his ministry. But we read here that he is eternal. There's a promise of a son that is yet to come, but this son has always been and always will be. And lastly, we see this title given to him that he is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Of course, the, word, the, the title of a prince is very common for a government official in the day of our Lord, in the day, of, in the day here. And many earthly princes promise peace, do they not? All rulers promise peace, but there are none that can truly deliver but Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We read in John chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus as the Prince of Peace is the true source of our peace. The word here for peace is shalom. It means whole wellness of the whole man, or soul wellness. Jesus is the Prince of Shalom. He is the only source of true peace that, that we have. And we've all, if you are in Christ today, you have the, the peace that only Jesus gives. And a, and a big aspect of that is our reconciliation, that we are no longer enemies of God, but that we've been, that we've been given right relationship with our Lord. Why is it, though, that we have peace with Jesus, that we so often look for peace in things in this world? We so often look outside of Christ to find peace and security and hope, and we turn to temporary things, thinking that there we might find some sense of hope. Maybe it's in money, and we tell ourselves, if I can just have enough zeros in the savings account, if I can just have enough money, then I can retire, and I'll have no problems. And when the problems arise, I can just, I'll have enough money to cover it. But we've all certainly learned at times that money doesn't fix everything. That you can have as much money as you want in the bank, but true peace can still be fleeting. We so often turn to the things of this world, but Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, he is the true and only lasting source of real peace. So we see that this son is coming. He will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. But he also speaks of the kingdom that he will bring, the kingdom that he will reign over. And we see that there in chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. We consider the, the kingdom of this son that is to be given 
we see firstly that the expansion of His kingdom will not stop until it is complete. The expansion of His kingdom will not stop until it is complete. It says, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. That means that no earthly power can prevail against this kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think that's encouraging for us because if you turn on the news, open up the newspaper, or look around in this world, sometimes it feels like quite the opposite, right? It feels like the kingdom of this world is growing and that the kingdom of God is shrinking. But we see here the increase of the government of peace of this king. There will be no end. That it will continue to expand until it is complete. Secondly, we see that this king will be a Davidic king. Very important for the, for the Old Testament that the Messiah that would come would be from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah. And there's a promise given in 2 Samuel. And it says there that there will always be a king that reigns on the throne of David forever, eternally. And as you look at biblical history, you see that that has not always been the case. Certainly is not the case now that a man is not ruling in Jerusalem on the throne of David. But that promise we see is fulfilled in Christ, that he is that eternal king that will eternally sit on the throne of David. And we see, thirdly, that this kingdom, this king will reign with justice and with righteousness. It says, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So his kingdom will be unlike any other earthly king ever has been and ever will be. Because he rules and he reigns with perfect justice and perfect righteousness. We hear a lot today about social justice. Many people demanding justice. And it, I think that's a, it's a good thing. It comes from the image of God in us, that we all want to see justice. We have to define justice according to the Scripture, according to the Word of God. And only Jesus rules and reigns with a perfect righteousness and perfect justice. And we see these promises as the Israelites heard these words. The question again might be asked, how can we trust these things? They might have said, how can we believe that this is going to be true? How is all of this going to be accomplished? And we might ask ourselves today, how can we be sure? How can we be sure? And we see lastly then in verse 7, that very last phrase. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish all of this. will bring this promise to pass. And of course, church, He has done this. As we just celebrated Christmas, we celebrated the birth of this Son, the coming of this glorious gleam of light into this dark world. Hope has come through the birth of the Savior. And with the birth of this King, Messiah has come, and Jesus the King has established His kingdom. His kingdom was inaugurated not in the future at the second coming, but it was inaugurated at his resurrection because it was there that he defeated sin, death, and Satan. It was there at his ascension that he was seated at the right hand of the Father and began to rule 
over the people that he is calling to himself. As he says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. And this king that it speaks of here rules not for a time, but he rules for eternity. And justice and righteousness mark his kingdom. And of this kingdom, there will be no end. So as we then look into 2020, or 2021, as we look into 2021, new year coming, I'll write 2020 probably for six months. Maybe some of you do that. As we look into this coming year, as we think about this son that was promised, this is some 2,700 years ago he was promised here. As we look at this son who came, this promise was fulfilled some 2,000 years ago. Right, as we look back to the historic event, not only of the incarnation and the birth of Christ, but also the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension and the heavenly intercession now. As we consider all of that, looking forward into 2020, may our resolve be to submit to King Jesus and to His kingdom. Certainly as we come into a new year, as is every year, the King's and princes of this world are going to promise us many things. Right? They will promise that they can give peace, they can give joy, they can give you security. But they're going to promise us things that they can never deliver. Because true peace, true joy, true security is only found in this Christ. It is only found in this King. The Prince of Shalom has come. And He has come bringing peace that this world and the princes and kings of this world cannot truly offer. So whatever 2021 brings, whether we get a reprieve from the crazy for a while, or whether it heightens and gets even worse than it has been, may we together approach this year, face this year, trusting in Christ as a body, as a family. I kind of want to echo Bob's exhortation last week that we would more and more come together as a family in Christ, that we would break those generational divides that, that we have, young and old, old and young, uh, that we would, as Bob exhorted us, pray for one another, really labor for our brothers and sisters before the throne of grace. Uh, we'll have a, uh, a new directory coming out soon that is a, is a great help just for praying for the body going through the various folks here and praying for one another. Um, I want to encourage you this year to take advantage of, of meeting together. If you have not joined us on Wednesday night, it's been a real blessing, a real time of, of fellowship, getting to know one another. Uh, there's just a, a bond that really can't happen in this sort of setting just because of the, the structure of the way things happen. But I want to invite you out Wednesday nights. It's been a real blessing. We meet in our home. Uh, we eat together, we sing together, we read the Word together, we laugh, what have you, uh, pray together. I want to encourage you to get to know the person next to you in the pew. Get to know your fellow church members. Uh, point them to Christ. Let them point you to Christ. We need the wisdom of the seasoned saints, uh, and maybe you seasoned saints need a little bit of the zeal of some of the younger folks. <laughs> Um, but what a blessing it is to, to serve you in this church and to be part of this body. And I really believe that God is, but will continue uh, to give us a great impact in this world 
for the kingdom of God. Uh, we, may, we may appear small in number, uh, but God is at work in this body. So I pray that as we step out into 21, uh, that it would begin with us loving one another here, as Jesus commands that the world would know us by our love that we have for one another, but that we would step out into this year really with an unshakable resolve, that this child that was given 2,000 years ago is really where all our hope lies. That whatever this year brings, whatever difficulties we face, whatever things we rejoice in, that really our hope is always in Christ. As it says in, I think it's Psalm 20, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we believe in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you that you fulfill your promises. We do thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a baby in a manger who took on humanity. He took on weakness and frailty, who was dependent upon his earthly parents to care for him as an infant, but who is also Christ the Lord, our Savior. So we today, as a body of redeemed believers, rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in our salvation. And we rejoice, Lord, in hope. We have a, a ground of hope in Jesus that is unshakable. So as we step out into a new year, we pray that you would lead and guide us, direct us. We pray that our confidence would be planted in you, not the kings and princes of this world and the things that they offer, but that we would be trusting in the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom, our Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name.